This week on Battleground, the global fight back against the forces of woke. I'm here in London for the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, a conference that's an initiative of Jordan Peterson, bringing together 1,500 really smart people from around the world to try and work out a better story, a story that will inspire and give hope and fight back against the work, the narrative that's eating our civilization from within. Later on, I'll be talking to a whole lot of people here, some of the 130 Australian contingent at this event, and we'll be talking to Bjorn Longbore about climate and energy policy, one of the big themes here. That's all on Battlegrounds here on ABH TV, which you can watch on demand on ABH.TV, or better still, go to our app, download the app for the full viewing experience, where you can also watch every episode from this remarkable session and i'll be pointing to to some of those later we're here in the here in the atrium here outside the main conference hall in the midpoint break it's quite a noisy place you've got well there's 1500 people at this conference most of them have just come out from some really thought-provoking sessions they want to talk about it they want to network i'm what a network too so Moira Deeming joins me. Moira, you, you've been here for the whole three days, of course. Just give me your high-level impression. What do you reckon? Uh, I think it's one of those flagship events that is supposed to inspire everyone and get everyone connected so that we can start working together more cohesively. I think we just needed... Yeah, we needed something like this. Uh, you know, almost like a sign, an event, a launch of all of us walking, working together across the globe. That's what the left does. That's what we need to start doing. I, I'm guessing you would have been heartened by the discussion about strengthening the social fabric, beginning with the family, beginning with the role of mothers and fathers. Yes, I'm one of those uh, that was raised in, in a matriarchy, actually, that sort of, you know, the, the value of the mother um, staying in the home was really uh, not there. Um, I don't think my family really looked down on them, but I didn't actually see any role models of that except for my auntie. So when I became a mother, I was surprised by how much I loved it. And as you know, we've got four children who I miss very much being here, but it's worth it. And I'm sure you're doing very well, yeah. now, by the way. Look, just find your one highlight. If you had to pick one thing, what would it be? Hard, isn't it? It is hard. Uh, I, I think hearing people talk about the value of standing up for what you believe in instead of hearing people talk about the value of hiding and shape-shifting and running away from the media and any kind of hard discussion in public. Thank I just loved it. Thank you very much. No, thanks for having me. We're in London yeah, at the Art yeah, Conference. Yeah. I, I think you're the kind of person who wouldn't miss this as well. Well, I'm glad I made it here. You know, it's, it is tough, obviously, to to leave the country in between sitting weeks and what have you, but it has been a fantastic uh, event. Uh, I mean, look, primarily it's important, I think, for the Liberal and Nationalist parties to rediscover our basic foundations as a movement. I think we lost the election last year in large part because we had forgotten uh, some of those foundations and therefore didn't have a strong platform to go into an election. So as we now, post the voice, start to develop a policy platform for the next election, and I think this kind of, of content is uh, a fantastic tilling of the soil. Prepare for that harvest uh, to make sure we plant something uh, in the minds of the Australian people uh, that will get them to think again about why we need a Liberal National Government in Australia. Well, there was on the energy debate that you and I heavily invested in and, and this delusion about yeah. renewables. Yeah. There was a lot of ammunition in those sessions. Oh, absolutely. And, and, 
it's not just here at the conference. So I've spoken to other people in London and catching up with some other MPs later in the week. And I've even myself been surprised about the backlash that's occurring here in Europe against net zero emissions. I mean, they're on the front lines here of facing the high power prices, the loss of industry associated with this radical, unattainable goal, uh, which us in, in Western countries, in Europe and Australia, seem intent on trying to meet uh, while uh, the likes of China and India and certainly Russia uh, go on their merry way. So so I, I definitely think a specific thing out of this conference is that, look, we, we need to not tell lies to Australian people. We're not going to be elected by telling lies. We need to tell people the truth. And, and the truth is we are never going to achieve net zero emissions. And if we try to, we will destroy large parts of our economy and only help dictatorial regimes which pay lip service to it and do nothing in response. The state would probably suffer if we don't know how to achieve. Oh, exactly Nobody right. Knows well, there's no plan it. for it. Yeah, like yeah. You, you sh- we shouldn't be trying to redesign the way we make food, the way we, uh, we manufacture things, the way we mine materials based on technologies that don't yet exist. It's absurd. All right, enjoy the rest of your Thanks, Nick. Thanks, thanks for being here, mate. Well, the running the great and good here, former Prime Minister, former Premier's Campbell Newman, former Premier of the great state of Queensland. Tell me, give you your first high-level impression of this event. Oh, look, it's been sort of um, exhilarating. It's it's evangelical, it's uh, motivational. It's the most extraordinary uh, conference or thing of its type I've ever been to in my life. Um, Oh yeah, That's yeah, right, and, I, and I've had You've more. Been co- to oh well, well, they, they are they are grey shadows of anything like this, and you know, it, look, I've, I've had more conferences than hot dinner, and, and this is this is extraordinary. The, the people that have come together, the the, the thought leadership, um, the, 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 the the way that it's really just trying to create a positive force in this world. It's going to be very hard to discuss it and explain to people succinctly back in Australia. You're not directly in politics now, good, but, but I think you'd understand that you see the difference between this and a political conference is we are actually talking about ideas, first principles, yeah. higher things. Yeah, it is. The grubby business of trying to get into government. It is, and, and going away from party political conferences, even some of the other forums for the, you know, the Conservatives or the right in Australia, they are very much being, you know, operating at this sort of level. The thing about this, it is, it is right up there. It is at the strategic. It's, a, it's, a, it's about, you know, it's global. It's cultural. It is values based, and and I think that's quite, quite, quite a quite a sort of liberating thing for me to, to suddenly be involved in something like this. Again. How do we then take this forward in a positive way in our own country? That's going to be the trick moving forward. I've, I've got to ask this cheeky question. Has this inspired Campbell Newman to return to politics? Well, actually it has, but I don't, wow. think, it, I, I don't think it's going to happen for the constraints of my life these days. But it, 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 it sort of reawakens the fire that was there in the first place to be in politics, which is to actually serve the community, try and do good things and, oh, and make a difference. Good on you, Cam. Good on you. Give me that microphone back. I'm going to pin it on this man over Thanks here. Thanks very much. Our 28th Prime Cheers. Minister. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. So, because it, it's not just uh, Australians, or there's a lot of Australians here in the United States from University, introduce yourself. Yes, hi, I'm Julie Hartman. I am the co-host of Dennis and Julie, which is a show with Dennis Prager. And I'm the host of my own show, Timeless, with Julie Hartman. And I actually don't work for PragerU. We work for the Salem Media Group. But right. I've, done, I've done videos for PragerU, and I've 
written in the Wall Street Journal, the Epic Times. Quickly, has this restocked your tank? Are you ready to go back with more? Oh, has this conference? Of course it has. It helps I have a cup of coffee in hand. <laughs> but, but no, it's I've I have both learned so much and met so many and important thought leaders. Including yes. this man. Let's introduce him. I think that all of the presentations have been well worth listening to. Some of them have been absolutely outstanding. And whatever else might happen, at least the 1,500 people here will go back to their normal lives invigorated and I believe better equipped to make a difference because what we need, as is obvious, is a long countermarch through the institutions and I think we've got some really outstanding soldiers and generals to make that happen. And in your former profession, I shouldn't say former profession, but when you were a full-time working member of parliament and then of course minister and prime minister, you don't get a lot of time to think about these first principles, higher things, strong intellectual arguments, do you? Just not there, so this is important in that regard. Look, uh, particularly for ministers and prime ministers, uh, for shadows and party leaders, it's just one damn thing after another. I think this has been a burst of concentrated intellectual, cultural, and even spiritual nourishment. I think we all need that sometime. And you think it do you agree that if we're going to see this play out in a richer, more intelligent, more serious public debate in Australia, because people from here, 130 people from Australia, will be going back on new ideas and new thoughts? Well, I certainly hope so, uh, and I certainly believe it's desperately needed. Um, uh, for too long, uh, too many of us have been too acquiescent in things that we know in our hearts are wrong, uh, and I think that we are in a better spirit to fight back and to do good now than we were at the start of this conference. Tony, any, any conference you attend, I know I'm in the right place. So <laughs> thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Good on you. Okay, mate. Time. See ya. I think a lot of us are worried at what the uh, lefties are getting up to in Australia when uh, 80% of conservatives are here in London. We'll get back and find they've gone berserk. I suspect that it's great that you could make it. That session the other day that you were involved in on national security. And you spoke very movingly as part of that about the family. I thought that. Can you just repeat that story? Sure. So back in July 2009, we're out on patrol. I was in an armored vehicle. There was a road about 50 to 100 meters behind me, and I was sitting in Overwatch, protecting infantry that were patrolling through a, a village. And there was a Hilux that was coming down the road behind us, and they had about eight to nine Afghans who were part of a family. And they struck an IED that was meant for us. Destroyed the vehicle. A uh, few of them were badly hurt. We treated them. And then we asked them, what now? Where are you off to? And they said, well, we're walking home. And off they walked. And it was at that point where I thought, we're not going to conquer Afghanistan. These are hard people. And it got me thinking about the importance of family, geography, and culture. Place, yeah. Place. And uh, the point I made during that panel was, how would Australians' family hold up under the same sorts of pressure? And it's a question worth asking with increased mental health issues amongst our young, increased suicide rates, 
social distrust growing. That's why it's an important conference to, to focus on those questions. Well, I think that's right because we all get absorbed in our own specific speciality. I spend a lot of time on energy policies, you know, we all spend a lot of time focusing on the voice without recognising it's part of a much, much bigger challenge to Western yeah. civilization. And it starts with the basic building blocks, the family mm. and parents. That's right. We, we mustn't forget that. The little, the little platoons. Yeah. Self-government. If we're a free people, self-government starts in the home. And from there we build out and we become a nation. And if those first uh, areas of life aren't working, then you're going to have problems at a national level as well. Yeah, that's so important. A big challenge, but I, I guess well, I come, I'm coming away really uplifted and encouraged and challenged to actually do more in the world of ideas to win these arguments. How about you? Well, absolutely. I think what's happened is we've seen the social and moral consensus of the, the last 80 years break down very quickly over the last decade. And now we're back in the marketplace of ideas. And so what ARC is doing is, is rediscovering the heritage that we have in the West. And so we're going back to elemental sort of stuff, which is important if we're going to go forward. Thank you, Andrew. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. I hope the rest of your time in London is valuable. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Cheers. Calling us back at the hall, but I couldn't let this get away okay. without uh, you. You've been a bit of a star here, I think, after what you were contributing to the voice. Tell me about that interview you did on the BBC Radio 4 yesterday. How did that go? Oh, it, was, it was a good interview. Um, I think really, you know, over here, they're really trying to understand what the dynamic is in Australia. And, you know, this idea that somehow we're viewed as a racist country, it's not right. It's not correct um, to think that. But certainly there was um, a level of intrigue to, to know a bit more about it all. And I guess particularly from my perspective as an Indigenous woman heading up the No campaign. Well, it gives us clear air, which I know you're going to grab, to take this on to the next day. You know, if the, if the voice top down abrasive voice is not going to be the solution what is and you've got plenty of arguments yeah that's that, yeah that's right um and, and that's the thing right i mean particularly here at arc uh, <laughs> particularly here at arc um the sense is that everyone is sick and tired of the nastiness of the ideological left um, that has been really attacking Western civilization and our, our most prosperous nations around the world. And those who want to be more like the Western world in order to be more prosperous. And therefore, what we've done with the referendum has been a beacon of hope um, rather than anything else. And of course, you know, and, and making it very clear that there are absolutely other ways that we can tackle our issues going forward and the whole idea here is to use common sense approaches. Yeah. And I think finally, that to take us out of our own little space, I mean, you've been intensely focused on the voice. For me, it was a reminder that we, we must lose sight of the fundamentals. Family, strong family, strong mother, strong father. Yes. Things we, we know, we have to keep reminding us that we have to address those. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, um, you know, family, the family unit has been under attack for some time. The, the makeup of the family unit, the idea that parents shouldn't make decisions about their own children. Um, and fundamental to any human being is the success 
you know, is for their success is to have that strong family support behind each other. And I think, you know, I mean, to me, it almost seems ridiculous that we are having to get back to a point where that is the case. Um, we're just doing an interview, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know a lot of people in Australia, everybody watching this, I'm sure agree with me that you deserve a good break in Italy or Spain with Colin. You're not going to get it, are you? You've got to get straight back into action next week. Well, I mean, we are um, going to take some time off and visit some family while we're here. Um, and hopefully I'm, I'm looking forward to Christmas anyway, because I know that definitely we'll, we'll get a break around that time. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Thanks, thanks, Thank you. I'm glad we got to talk with everybody else wandering around us. That's actually part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A regular face on ADHD, Dr. Stephen Chivori. Stephen, we, we spoke the other night. Uh, I think on day one of the conference. Yeah. No, not one of, uh, uh, I water under that bridge. I think you were generally very positive about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, now with a bit of broader look at it, yep. what's your view? Right, yesterday knocked it out of the park. Uh, and what I mean by that is that we were given facts, we were given statistics, but we were given sort of practical initiatives in terms of sort of how to make things better. So day one was a bit more abstract, um, a bit more on sort of Western civilization as a whole. But day two, when you had guys speaking like Michael Schellenberger and, and, and others, um, they really nailed down exactly what is wrong, but also practically speaking, what needs to be done to put us back on the right track and that's what i came here to hear so yesterday was fantastic today's been really strong as well yeah i mean we all get caught in our own speciality media yeah. energy policy a lot of the time yeah. so it's good to come here and hear um be brought into the loop on some of these really important debates going on about air and food and the role of strong families as part of the social fabric um pushing back on things that we were just run. Uh, yeah. I think that's been useful for me. Oh, absolutely. And look, the thing is, like, you and I, we read a lot. It's part of our bread and butter. But there are a lot of people here who are very, very influential, uh, but they're very busy. They don't necessarily have time to read the books by Michael Schellenberger or Stephen Coonan or Jonathan Heights and people like that. So they come here, they hear the sort of the, the, the distilled versions of what they've got to say, and, and, and everything falls into place for them. Uh, that, and that's why this is so important. As I, and as I said before, what, I think what we've learned over the last three years, Nick, uh, is that the only that the best way to counter bad elites is to raise up new new good elites. We need good elites to counter the bad ones. The grassroots movement that was sort of uh, generated over the last few years, particularly over the COVID madness, while it was great, it, it didn't change much. And and, and we, we, we need a sort of greater reset to overcome this current great reset that's sweeping through our societies, destroying our energy production, destroying um, our economies, destroying our education systems, and that's yeah, I, I, I'm actually cautiously optimistic. New leaders, that's what we're looking yeah. for, new leaders. New well. leaders. Uh, and in the thought leadership space, you're one of them. Ah, oh, well, so thank you. Thank you so much for your contributions during the week. Thank you. Occasionally, these random bits of public art, this one outside the conference centre where the art event is being held, really tell a story. This inverted electricity pylon really points to the futility of some of our energy policy in Australia, this search for this insistence that we can get to some net zero with solar panels 
and wind turbines, but of course, an awful lot of these transmission lines required. So there's the story. Energy's been a big conversation piece here, as you know, this uh, delusion of, of trying to achieve net zero 2050. In fact, trying to achieve net zero at all, it's been a constant theme here. We've had people like Michael Schellenberger, Alex Epstein and others talking to this theme and causing a lot of common sense, putting a lot of facts on the table. And, uh, you know, it's been a terrific source of interest. One person I was particularly keen to catch up with, though, was Bjorn Longborg, who was last in Australia in early 2020, just before the COVID uh, thing broke out. And we've been trying to get him back since. Uh, his wisdom on this is always worth hearing. So I'm sure you'll, you'll appreciate this extended conversation I had with Bjorn in the ADH studio here at the Art Conference Centre. Well, I'm joined here at the Art Conference in London by Bjorn Lomborg. Bjorn, welcome to ADH TV here in a remote location in London. The, first, the broad theme of this conference is all about telling a better story, isn't it? And I, I just click to that. And I think this is what you've been trying to do. I think since, since we first started to run your material in the Australian probably 15 years ago, trying to give a better, more optimistic story about the world. Well, uh, yes, I'm going to take uh, 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 exception to the optimistic part because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be, because telling an optimistic story is sort of saying, yes, things actually suck, but I'm going to tell you an optimistic story because then maybe you'll be happy. That's not what I think we should be doing. We should be telling the correct story. We should be mm. telling the real story. Uh, and so this is much more about saying if we're telling a doom infested story, which I think to a very large extent we are, partly because you know, TV plays really well to mm. things are terrible and it's going to get worse and please click on us. Um, if you keep telling that story, it will, you know, first of all, make us depressed and make us unable to really do something uh, about it. But also it'll make us spend resources badly because we're going to be focused on the things that make it to the evening news and not on all the other things that perhaps not as sexy, but actually where we can do a lot more good at much lower cost. Mm. Now you've always, one of the things that's characterized your research and your writing is data. You've always been rigorous about finding data to back up your argument, right? Yes, and I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I don't quite understand why you would make arguments if you don't have data, and I get why people do that. But you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who only really want to say something if I also know which article I should link to that says it, and not just in, in a sense of, oh, somebody said it, but actually have documented it. And, and I think that's, that's the value of, of, of having you know, public intellectuals and a public discourse, is that you're actually putting out extra information that's useful, that we know is correct, not just an opinion, but something that is actually descriptive of reality. See, here's the thing, it doesn't win arguments, because you've been putting up solid data, for instance, on climate change, you, you, you obviously accept we all do, that climate is changing, but the, the, the details of how it's changing, the, the sort of predictions that are being made about, you were challenging all that with data, but it didn't seem to change the argument, did oh, it? Oh, God, no, because again, this, the, the great civilizational conversations that we have, and certainly in climate, is very much, this is the end of the world, and that both sells, it sells a lot of clicks, it gets a lot of headlines, uh, and there's a lot of people making money off of it is obviously the renewable sector, but also a lot of people who are organizing, you know, uh, uh, it, it generates great understand, uh, 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 sort of, what, what do you say, great, uh, 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 
Oh, I, I'm sorry, I lost that. Can we? Yep. Yeah. Take it again. Sorry about that. Just take um, it again from the top. Yes. Um, question. So I'll just give you the question. Yeah. But the thing about data is you, you can put it there. You can put the facts out there. They're well established. But it doesn't seem to win the argument. Why not? No. So fundamentally, because global warming is one of those things that are just way too sexy for newspapers and for you know, generates clicks and, and comments and, and headlines. And it also generates a lot of interest for a lot of different people. So it generates a lot of money for renewables mm -hmm. and it generates a lot of uh, uh, you know, new memberships of Greenpeace and everything else. And, and it's not, I, I think they honestly believe most of, of these things, but they're obviously pushing an argument. What I'm trying to say, and what I think the data tells us, is that look, there's a real problem with climate. So putting in more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will raise temperatures, and that overall will have more negative than positive impacts. But, and this is the important part, doing something about it is also going to be costly. And so we need to weigh those two things. We actually need to you know, make the sum of these two uh, negative impacts, the climate impact and the climate policy impact, the minimum impact in total. This is, and this is not something new, this is actually what William Nordhaus, the yeah. uh, climate economist from Yale University, is the only climate economist to ever get the Nobel Prize in climate economics. And that's his point. That's what he got the Nobel Prize for. So I'm, I'm just paraphrasing this. But that's the conversation that we need to have. And of course, that's not what we're talking about right now. So yes, we need more of this data. I, I happen to believe that eventually, if we have no, enough of these conversations, we'll, we'll convince uh, most people. But it's hard to you know, battle uh, yeah. the, uh, the apocalypse. Well, we, we must keep having these conversations. Another point, I think, Bjorn, that you make uh, you've been making this for a long time, right? Some of us are slow to come to it. But there is a limited amount of wealth in the end that we have to invest in any one thing. And if you misallocate this wealth because you misprioritize something, then you yeah. can't spend on something else. And this is the theme of your most recent book, I think, Best Things First, in which yes. you, you point out that there's many, many more things that need to be done in the world. There's many more good things we can do. Yeah, and, and again, this is not my, you know, first of all, it's not rocket science. This is basically what all of economics is built on. There are trade-offs all the time. If you spend more money here, it means that money can't be spent somewhere else. And so you need to make sure you spend the money well. It's, that's not rocket science. That's something we should all be in agreement about. And, and so when we're spending close to $2 trillion now, uh, that's probably what will come out with in, in 2023, on climate policies, this is about two percent of global GDP. It's not. It's not going to make us all go to the poorhouse, but that's a lot of money. We have to ask ourselves: Is that the best way to help the world further? And the simple answer is no. It's not. Some of this money will actually be well spent. A lot of it will be pretty poorly spent. Some of it will be, be terrible, uh, terribly spent. But and that's the important part. The book that I've worked on with tons of economists and several Nobel laureates trying to find out where can we spend the money to do the most good for the world. There are much, much better things that you can do. And I'm just going to mention a few of them. Uh, you know, tuberculosis, malaria. Mm. These are still incredible diseases that stalk vast number of people. It kills uh, 1.4 600, 1 million, 600,000 people each and every year. And we know how to fix this. Uh, there are many other problems, childhood immunization, uh, nutrition, uh, the, the, the question of, of, of land tenure. So most people don't 
know that they own their land. We could help them make sure that they own it so that they will produce it more effectively. And many other simple things. Let me just give you one more thing. Education, everyone mm. agrees, oh, education is incredibly important. It turns out that it's very, very hard to spend money well on education. Yeah. There's a lot of bad ways to do it. We know about that in Australia, yeah. <laughs> well, we know about this most places in the world, right? Yeah. But, you know, fundamentally, uh, for instance, the Indonesians, they doubled their spending on, on, on education, and what they got out of it was basically they hired a, about a million more teachers, and they doubled the pay for teachers, which of course is great for mm. teachers, but when you actually measure it, it's a, one of the most quoted papers in educational economics. Uh, it's called Double for Nothing, so you can tell what it said. It did a, a, a randomized controlled trial study, uh, and it showed that it had zero impact on learning from the kids. But, and this is the hopeful part, there are incredibly cheap ways that you can dramatically improve learning in primary school. So one of them is, you know, that you have, if you have 50 kids in a, in a class, you know, some of these kids are far ahead of the teacher. Some of these kids have struggling and have virtually no idea. What is a teacher going to do? Ideally, the teacher should be able to teach each one of these kids at his or her own level. Yeah. But you can't do that with 50, but you can't do it with 25 either. So the trick here is to use technology. So if you put uh, uh, these kids in front of a tablet with educational software, one hour a day. So they don't own the tablet. Uh, it's going to be shared with a lot of other kids. Uh, that co keeps the cost down. And what we find, and this is universal, there's been a lot of randomized controlled trial studies that show if you do this, it'll cost about $31 per kid per year. So mm. not nothing, but you know, about 10% more than what we're already spending on them, even very, very poor countries. And it will triple their learning. Yeah. This is just simply a fantastic way to make sure that these kids become much smarter and so when they go out in their adult lives, they'll be much more productive, they'll help their nations and themselves to become much richer. We find that for every dollar you spend, you'll do $65 worth yeah. of good. So the point here is not to say that there's any one thing that you have to pick in on, but it is to say that there are some fantastic things that we could do. We forget many of these things because these don't create the big headlines. But they're incredibly important to make a better world. Yeah, I should say you 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 you're a you are an actual believer in in technology for learning. I know because we are friends on Duolingo, yeah, right? We're yes, both we're yes. both we're both finding how effective and efficient that can be. So it's just clever of things. We, Although we are, you keep out competing me. <laughs> oh, not there at you. all. Um, we, but to the to the to the nub of today's question, and let me bring you up to date with Australia because it's it's far too long since Bjorn's been to Australia. Twenty twenty start of twenty twenty. You broke the drought, I think, the weekend you arrived. It just tipped with rain, and then we hit COVID, and we haven't seen you since. So you, you, of course, follow what's happening. We've got a Labor government. They've, they've got a zero 2050 target locked into law, and they're going hell for leather, uh, which is fair enough, but with both hands tied behind their backs in that they're ruling out nuclear. Uh, we're seeing in Australia, up and down the country, communities that are really torn apart by being invaded by big renewables, to put up the turbines and the, the, the solar panels. We are learning there on the ground how land hungry it is. That to me is another cost, isn't it, that we never take into account land. And even in Australia, we're running out of suitable land. Oh, look, the, the fundamental point is Net zero is something that sounds really great. So look, if you say global warming is a problem, and it is, then it's caused by CO2, then it sounds like an obvious argument to say, 
oh, but then we should stop emitting the CO2, then we should stop using fossil fuels, then we should just switch to something else. It sounds like an obvious argument up till the fact that you realize we don't actually burn fossil fuels to emit CO2 and annoy Greta Thunberg or Al Gore. We burn it because it fundamentally underpins pretty much everything we like about society. And so trying to go net zero is not going to be painless. That's actually going to be incredibly painful. Uh, yeah, it's not going to, again, bring us to the poorhouse, but there's a new set of studies out in the uh, uh, climate, uh, climate Economic Journal, which is the first ones to try to estimate what is actually the cost of net zero. And you'd imagine, oh my God, the whole world has decided we're going to do this. Surely somebody should have figured out how much it will cost. Well, actually, the best studies that we've had before are two consultancies. So it's uh, Bank of America and uh, McKinsey Institute. Now we actually have the first real academically valid studies that have been period and published. What they find is it's going to cost somewhere between 6 and 18% of global GDP by 2050. This is just a phenomenal outcome. The, the 18%, remember, just to give you a sense of context, the total government intake of taxes in the world is 15%. So we're possibly talking about spending more than all the governments in the world have together. And the benefit, now, if this actually you know, saved the planet, then maybe, well, then it would be worth it if it saved the planet, because that would be yeah. worth anything. But it's not. It is worth, and these are the same studies that then show, it's worth about 1% to 2% around 2050. So you're basically suggesting let's spend an enormous amount of money on average, it's about 10%, to do about 1% benefit. No, that's not smart. That's stupid. <laughs> and, and again, it's not that these people are not well-intentioned, but it's simply to say, you actually need to look at the evidence. And of course, what will happen with a lot of the governments who promised, oh, we're going to go net zero, when the bills start coming due, they're going to, oh, wait, well, <coughs> sorry, we meant we were going to do, and then you know they'll change the boundaries. And, and that's fine. That's how you know, politics should be when you start realizing the world is different from what you expected. But the problem is that we may very well have ended up spending literally hundreds of trillions of dollars really badly before we change our course. I would like to believe that good information can make us, I don't know, only waste 50 trillion. I, I, I would consider that a, a, a burden. Right. I'm going to put the rose colour spectacles on for the last question and then you're going to knock me down to reality. At some point, and it's happening in Europe, people have to come confront the facts of engineering thermodynamics, right, yeah. and, and, and economics. And right now, we've seen in Europe the, uh, the the war in Ukraine, the uh, gas not coming through, gas becoming very expensive, and they, they've been forced to go back in Germany now. They've symbolically, I think, knocked down one wind farm to start digging coal. Yes, Is it, 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 have we reached the point where reality has finally dawned and we can see uh, sort of sensible policy from here on in? Well, I would love if that was the case, but no, I don't think so. So I, I, I think 
this is a very, very strong uh, uh, movement. There's a lot of people who invested a lot of interest mm -hmm. in this. Uh, it also gives a lot of purpose to a lot of people. So, you know, if you're saving the planet, what could be more important than that? Uh, and, and so a lot of people are very resistant to hearing, well, actually, you're doing a little good at high cost rather than you're saving the planet. Oh, and making us money, which is kind of the thing that you're being told. Uh, I, I think what Germany realized and what everybody realized was we said we wanted to save the planet, but when it turned out, oh, we're actually going to freeze a bit? No, maybe we'll postpone a little bit, right? And that tells you something about this is not going to face up well with reality. But there's a lot of people with invested money. There's a lot of people invested in this idea. And so they're going to drag this out. I think we're still you know, yeah. a, a decade or two away from realizing that 2050 is not going to be the time when we uh, got to net zero. Well, I hope and, you're and, wrong. And again, sorry, so <laughs> let me just, one more thing. Though the point here is not to say that this is in solvable. It is about making sure that we focus on smart things. So what we've also found is we should be investing in research and development in green energy. That's how we're going to solve climate change. Much cheaper, much more effective, and it will eventually do much, much more good. But spending less money, smarter on climate also means we have much more money left over for all the other problems in the world. Well, Bjorn Lomborg, thank you for your time, and let's hope it's not too long before you see you back in Australia, I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank Thanks. You. Hey, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that taste of what's been happening in art. I must say, it does feel like this is the start of something very special. It is a point at which good people come together and pull their resources to start really pushing back against the dangerous narrative of woke, uh, which is undermining our society. Uh, I brought you a taste of a few of the, the, the things, only a taste, of course, in a one-hour show. Everything's available online at the adht.tv website or on the app you can watch every one of the sessions as constantine kisson uh this this doctor uh, uh you can don't forget also to watch our own angus taylor a great panel session shared by greg sheridan including andrew hasty on national security there is so much just dip into it and enjoy next week we'll have a very special uh, interviewee which i recorded here which we're going to hold over for a week uh, and, and that's dave rubin very the, the very very uh, amusing but also insightful dave rubin from the united states host of the rubin report will be joining me here in a special interview and more uh, i think that's just about it for today except really to thank everybody at the adh tv tv team who worked overtime to get this production to air especially to Martina and Jack you've done a marvellous job and thank you uh, but most of all most of all as always thank you for watching and join me again next week on Battleground 8pm Eastern Standard Time in Australia 9am here in London thank you